What's up, Tiaholics? Welcome back to the Tea on Crime. It's your host, Britt. And I'm the co-host, Jessica, wife and true crime skeptic. Just as a reminder before we get started, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply our own and are only presented to educate. We've linked the case sources in the episode notes below. This is episode 10, and this week I'm telling you the story of John Benet Ramsey. Remember last episode when you grilled me asking me if I knew who this little girl was? I know, I was super excited that this is the case that we're doing today. You know, I remember, so I don't remember anything about this case, right? But I know that I, I know who this little girl is. And at the time, uh, I was really, I think I was in like elementary, but my mom was obsessed with this case. And that's the only reason why I recognize who she is, but... I was in elementary, so I wasn't exactly an avid news watcher at that point. I think at that time, though, her face was all over, like, People magazine and just magazines in general because it was so well-known. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm glad you're excited. (laughs) So I want to start off by saying that this case is huge. There are a lot of details to cover, and I can tell that you are already going to be irritated because this case has never been solved. Well, has any of the cases that we've done been solved? I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen to them, but I... Listen to the cases that we've done? <laughs> yeah, I don't have the greatest memory. I mean, That's, I'm not that is sure. True. So I have a great memory. So, <laughs> so Kendra, you would think that Kendra you would Johnson, know. Johnson, right, has not been solved. Right. Okay, so Darwin Best has not been solved. Right. Darwin, not Darwin. Darwin Darwin Best has not been solved. Amy, what's her last name? Amy Lynn Bradley yes. has not been solved, uh-huh. obviously. The Little Girl in the Field. Amy Mahalovic. Yes, yep. has not been solved. Well, Charles Manson obviously was solved because that's <laughs> Charles Manson. Um, I think that's where we're at. The girl that got murdered in like that closet. Oh, yes, yes. Has not been solved. Right. Yeah, literally. You're not a fan of the the survivor <laughs> stories or the ones that have, we know that about you. So we none all of like them what we been, like, okay? None of them have been solved is my point. Well, my point is, is that you're going to get irritated during this I'm case. So irritated. I'm just giving you a little warning there. And I love I'm so excited to hear about this irritating story. So this case took place not long after the O.J. Simpson trials happened. And that is kind of what set the mood for people being involved in true crime. Was O.J. Simpson? Yeah, and following true crime and really being invested in watching what they could at the time on true crime was O.J. Simpson's case because it just became such a big deal. People were glued to their TVs, and I think that that's what really set in motion people's obsession with true crime. Which is funny because the O.J. Simpson case is not a very complicated case. (laughs) Not a complicated case. No, it's It's very straightforward. It's very straightforward. Okay. So the Ramsey family includes John Benet, who was born in 1990 and would be 33 today. Her brother, Burke, who was born in 1987, so he is 36 today. Her mother, Patsy, and her father, John Bennett Ramsey. So this is how John Benet actually got her name. Her parents wanted to put a French twist on her name, so she's actually named after her father, John Bennett. Oh, so that's okay. how they came up with John Benet. Are her parents still alive today? We'll get there. Let's not jump ahead. Oh, sorry. Well, I mean, you were just saying she was 33 and he was 36, and then you just said blah, blah about the... Okay, cool. Got it. It's a part of the story, so we'll get there. All right. I will answer all of your questions. Okay. 
So John at the time was president of Access Graphics, which was a firm he started in 1988 and then later sold it to Lockheed Martin Corporation. Oh, they're a huge group. Really? Yes. Did you know that? Um, so individuals in the military, right, when they retire from the military or they leave the military, um, most of them will go to Lockheed Martin Corp as their next career jump. Oh, I had no idea. Yes. So he sold that in 1991 to them. Lockheed Martin kept him on and promoted Ramsey to president and CEO. Oh, wow. Okay. Patsy was a stay-at-home mom, and they were honestly very rich. Mm -hmm. They lived in a 15-bedroom mansion in Boulder, Colorado. Nice. Yeah. I feel like we've been picking on Colorado a lot lately, so we might have to take a break from doing some Colorado cases, switch it up a little bit. Yeah, you do. I guess it's uh, maybe we can go to Wisconsin because, you know, there's lots going on down there. Like cheese? No. Steve Avery. You know, things like that. Okay. We just went right to the food. I think they have cheese curds that they're like known for, right? Well, yeah, Wisconsin they're... cheese. Yeah. Green Bay Packers. They're known as the cheese. Okay. Great. This is fantastic. So are you ready to jump into this? Yes. All right. On Christmas Day of 1996, the Ramsey family went to a friend's house for Christmas dinner. According to her parents, John Binet fell asleep in the backseat of a car on the way home. Typical little kid move, she falls asleep in the backseat. Once they arrive home, her father carries her inside and takes her to bed. Okay. They get Burke to sleep. John sets the alarm. Everything is a normal night, according to them. But that wouldn't be the case the next morning. Okay. The police department receives a frantic call the next morning from Patsy Ramsey In the phone call, you can hear Patsy telling the police that there was a kidnapping and that there is a ransom note. Ransom? Ransom note. I had to screw it up at some point. It's all right. Words are hard early on. (laughs) I'm telling you, that is going to be the merch. Like, we're just going to do a t-shirt. Words are hard. Maybe put it (laughs) on a coffee mug. (laughs) Uh, Patsy claims that she has no idea how long John Binet has been gone, that they just woke up and she was gone. Okay. At first, the police thought it was a kidnapping. The Ramsey family immediately started calling their friends over to their house. So when the police arrived, there's a bunch of people just hanging out at the house. Because that's that's helpful. That's normal, right. Which, to me, seems very weird because it should have been treated like a crime Mm -hmm. scene. And here's a house full of people and the police show up. So who's to say, like, which rooms they were going in and out of? I don't even know how many people were there, but obviously quite a bit. Patsy claimed to police that when she came walking down their spiral staircase that morning, something caught her eye. There were a few pages of paper that were neatly laid upon the stairs. There was a handwritten ransom note. And strangely enough, the author seemed to know a lot about the family. There was a demand in the letter for exactly $118,000, which was roughly the same amount of John's Christmas bonus he was receiving that year. Hmm. A little sketchy, right? Okay. This note was two and a half pages long. Doesn't that seem excessive to you? It is very. Aren't they usually maybe a paragraph to a few sentences? Yeah, there are a few sentences, maybe at best, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely not two and a half pages. Patsy claimed after she read the ransom note, she ran up the stairs pushed open John Binet's bedroom door, and that's when she discovered that she was gone. She immediately yelled for John. I think the Boulder Police Department could have handled this differently. Like I said earlier, we have a house full of Ramsey's friends, possibly contaminating any kind of crime scene that may exist. And then there was one officer who suggested to John Ramsey and one of John's friends 
that they should go and search the rest of the house because this was a big house, mind you. Apparently, the police felt like it would be best to have all hands on deck. I mean, it was also, what, the early 90s. (laughs) Yeah, but that just seems like, help me do my job. Go search. Listen, there's patterns in all of these (laughs) stories that I'm not going to keep commenting on because then I'm going to come off as like a police hater, which I'm not. But it just, I don't, I don't know what we were thinking back then. Yeah. So John and his friend go and search the basement of the house, which was used as their wine cellar. They found John Binet on the floor, wrapped up in a blanket, dead. John claims that he was so upset and totally beside himself that he just picked up the blanket and brought his daughter upstairs, which in itself is an issue because he just touched a crime scene and now she's been moved. Wait a minute. So... I'm confused. So if this was our kid, right, I find a ransom note and I wake you up because I think that would be my first reaction. Right. Well, I would go and check for our daughter and then I would come wake you up. Hey, she's missing. At that point, I feel like it wouldn't, we wouldn't even need to communicate. We would immediately go to our son's room. And then upon that, we would check every inch of that house before we called the police, right? We wouldn't just immediately go right to kidnap. Well, I think most normal people would. What do you, because... mean, what do you mean normal? Is in like the rich people are not normal? I'm confused. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying like I feel like most people, if they found a note and their child is missing, they would probably start going through the rooms in their house to make sure, number one, there's not someone in there. And to see if you can find your child, I don't think you would immediately call the cops and be like, we have a kidnapping right away, right? Without searching the rest of the house. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we would search the rest of the house. But once, if we search the rest of the house, our daughter is missing and our daughter is clearly not very old. Right. What? Why wouldn't we immediately call the cops and just say, well, I wouldn't say kidnapping. I, well, I mean, yeah, I would because we have the <laughs> ransom note. But I'm saying like, I, if we couldn't find her, yes, I would call the cops and say, our daughter's been kidnapped. We've looked for her. Right, but you would have taken the time, like we just said, to go through the house. They did not. She immediately called the cops and said, we have a kidnapping. And then upon, after the phone call with their friend, or with the cops, they call their friends. No, it's it's definitely really suspicious because you are making it harder for the police to be able to do their job, right? So you're delaying the process in them helping them find your daughter. And then it does also look suspicious right off the bat that he... The dad is the one that found her, and it sounds like pretty easily. Yeah. Okay, moving forward. So there's a rundown of the timeline of events that belong to the case. We obviously yes. jumped right into it. Yes, we did. So we're going to get into the evidence. Everyone knows that anytime a crime happens within your own home, members of the family are the main suspects. It's very common, and it's much like the spouse and spouse combination as well right? So something happens to the spouse. It's usually the husband that's looked at or the wife that's looked at. It's just very common in true crime cases. Yes. There were no signs of forced entry into the house. There were no footprints in the snow. There was a broken window in the basement, which John claimed he was aware of that window being broken months prior. But since he believed they lived in such a safe neighborhood, he didn't think anything of it. (laughs) 1990s. Okay. (laughs) The Ramsey family believed that someone broke into their house. John Binet, as everyone knows, was a pageant girl. I think that when most people hear the name John Binet Ramsey, they immediately think of her big blue eyes, the heavy amount of makeup that she was wearing in all of her photos, and her beautiful blonde hair. 
I think that's what she's, you know, well known for. Yeah. Pageants are a breeding ground for pedophiles because when you have these teeny little kids that are being overly sexualized, it's going to attract some weirdos. I think that that's common sense. I'm not saying that I personally have anything against anyone that puts their kids in these pageants, but I think you have really young girls here in full faces of makeup and everyone is attempting to make them look a lot older than they really are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're singing and doing really provocative things. Yeah. Right? I guess. (laughs) I've never been, you know, a part of a pageant, so I'm not really sure. Well, I mean, I haven't either, but... (laughs) Honestly, until you said that they were breeding grounds for pedophiles, uh, I think I would have thought about it in a very naive way because I wouldn't have put two and two together. But no, I, I think you're right. It would be a really great opportunity for a pedophile to kind of slip through the cracks. Right, for sure. Yeah. People believe that a pedophile from one of these pageants must have broken into the Ramsey house and took John Binet. But what about the ransom note? Mm-hmm. I will tell you that the police never found any kind of connection between the pageant world and the Ramsey house and this supposed break-in. So, in typical true crime fashion, the parents are now going to be the main suspects. Okay. The How- ransom... I'm sorry. How old is the brother at this time? He was nine. Okay. I yep. just wanted to know. Yep, he was nine. The ransom note is where things start to get really weird. It was two and a half pages long. It was written on a notepad from the Ramsey's kitchen. So, did someone break in, murder John Bonet, head back upstairs to the kitchen, and sit down at their kitchen counter to write this ransom note? No, with them being wealthy, um, I wonder how many staff that they had. So, did they have a cook? Did they have a maid? Did they have a gardener? What individuals did they hire to perform whatever duties within the home? Right. Um, So I feel like if you were planning on doing something like this, don't you think you'd come a little more prepared? Maybe have the ransom note already written? No, I don't know. It's the 1990s, so I can't really give people too much credit. (laughs) Like I said earlier, the note was very specific, and it seems that the author knew a lot about the family. The note claimed in order to get their daughter back, they would need to deposit exactly $118,000, which, like I said, matched the amount of John's Christmas bonus he was going to receive. I find it funny, though, right? So you you bring her home, she goes to bed, the next morning she's gone, and then you find her dead. So what's the point of writing a ransom note when she goes missing for her just to be found dead however hours of whatever later downstairs isn't that the whole purpose of a ransom note is you have them for ransom and you don't just say give me all this money and then you know you find her dead (laughs) well yeah usually it's i have your child i have your dog whatever it may be provide me this money and you can have them back so we would not pay $118,000 for one of our children by children everybody i mean dogs they are our children i would not i would say keep them wow we're not on the same page there but it is really weird that all of a sudden she would just be dead but yet yeah, there's no there's no time frame to nope okay <laughs> when experts reviewed the ransom note they believed that it appeared to be staged of some kind mm-hmm. the handwriting in the beginning changed throughout the note it started off nice but it becomes very sloppy towards the end There were lines within the note that were actually lines from movies that had been used in ransom notes before. The investigators took handwriting samples from both John and Patsy and had them use the same notepad. 
They analyzed the handwriting and were able to rule out that John did not write the letter, but experts could not prove that Patsy did or did not write the letter. Interesting. Experts did state that Patsy has a very unique way of writing her cues, and there were letter the letter Q in the in the note. Sorry, I'm getting all tripped up there. <laughs> um, written within the note, and they looked very familiar to what Patsy was writing. So both the word possession as well as business were spelled incorrectly. The ransom note is signed victory exclamation point S B T C. Still to this day, no one has any idea what that means. Have you tried to Google that to see what people say? I haven't. I'm sure that there's a lot of theories behind it, but no, I've never looked into that. The letter is actually super hard to read because you can tell throughout how the handwriting does in fact change. I have linked a copy of the two and a half page letter on our social media accounts if you haven't seen those yet. When John Binet's body was found, she had been strangled with a garrote. For those of you that do not know what a garrote is, it is a device used to strangle someone. It is a handheld ligature that is usually made of chain, rope, wire, or fishing line. The victim's neck is placed in the collar, and the collar is slowly tightened by a screw until the victim suffocates. Yeah, that is one of uh, What's-His-Face's favorite tools. See, I know things about true crime. Uh, It's Bundy's. (laughs) Ted Bundy was a very big fan of garrots. Right. In this case, the device that was tied around John Bonet's neck consisted of a piece of nylon cord tied to a broken piece of one of Patsy Ramsey's paintbrushes. It was the same type of cord used to make the wrist cord bracelets. That sounds terrible. It sounds horrible. According to neurological experts that consulted on her case, the strangulation is what ended John Binet's life, therefore making the garrote the murder weapon. They did find that the ends of the broken paintbrush were consistent with a paintbrush that had been snapped by hand. There is no indication that a knife was used to break the paintbrush. Mm -hmm. It is impossible to determine where the paintbrush was broken. John Bonet's hair was entangled in both the knot at her neck and the knot on the paintbrush, indicating that the device must have been created in close proximity to the victim. The garrote was therefore not constructed ahead of time, but while John Bonet was present. Oh, okay. The device acted as a noose rather than a true garrote. The point where the rope became a noose was at the back of the neck, which suggested to some that John Bonet was lying face down when the ligature was tied. Investigators would also enlist the aid of a knot expert, John Van Tassel of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. He would eventually determine that the slip knots used in the wrist and neck ligatures were of standard fare. The end of the cord wrapped around the remains of the paintbrush were observed to be nothing that was anything fancy suggesting that a skilled person had been responsible for tying them. If you're interested in seeing the photos of the garage, I've also linked that on our social media accounts as well. Please take caution while viewing. It's obviously super sensitive. She was also hit in the head with some type of very heavy object. It's still unknown to this day what exactly that item was. She had some marks on her body and signs of sexual abuse. I don't know. Evidence shows that the strangulation took place somewhere between 45 minutes to one hour after she was hit in the head. She also had duct tape over her mouth. The police found fibers from Patsy's sweater on the duct tape. Okay. Patsy, (laughs) it's not looking good for you. It's not looking good. 
When she was buried, her parents put December 25th on her headstone. The public has been very hard on the family in regards to that because how can they be for sure that was when she died? It could have happened on the 25th after they got her home from the party, but remember they stated they didn't arrive home until much later. So really, she could have died in the early morning hours of December 26th. Interesting. Okay. The family stopped cooperating with police. They stopped giving interviews. They stopped working with their lawyers. Police were getting super frustrated because they were no longer assisting the police in the case. But the family was more than willing to go on TV and take any airtime they could receive with anyone that wasn't the police. Okay, facts, right? The note is a letterhead from the Ramsey house. Yes. Was the letterhead just specific to both of them or was it more to, It was it John's letterhead? Was it Patsy's letterhead? It was just in the kitchen. It was the family's. They had it by their answering machine. You know how people used to like, oh, so-and-so called and left a voicemail. Let's take a message. Do you remember those days? Was that a <laughs> Briefly. when you were young? Uh, I mean, I think there was voicemail. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> so it was just a pad of paper in the kitchen by the phone. Okay. And the paintbrush used in the, or, yeah, the paintbrush used in the garage was Patsy's. Yes. So was she a painter? It was one of her hobbies. Do we know any of her other hobbies? Besides being a stay-at-home mom, I'm yes. not sure. The reason why I'm asking is because when I hear about cases with knots, and if it's an extremely well-done knot, right? So it's somebody that's going to be well-versed in doing them. A lot of the times for the wealthy individuals, it can alert to like sailing. You do a lot right. of knots in sailing. Right. So. But these knots weren't fancy. So they were very basic. Okay. So we'll keep that in them. mind. Do we know what kind of knot it was? It didn't say. Okay. No. And I'm not a knot expert. I mean, I've seen the picture, but it looks like a knot to me. (laughs) I'm going to find out what kind of knot it was. Anyway. So let's talk about the huge missing link in all of this. Her brother, Burke. Who's nine. Right. Where is Burke in all of this? He was nine years old when this happened, and apparently he was sleeping all night and sleeping into the next morning when police arrived at the house. Mm-hmm. Patsy apparently went into Burke's room after calling the police, very frantic about the whole situation, and he still didn't wake up. Okay. Burke appeared on the Dr. Phil show and discussed his side of the story in 2016. He claims that he remembers Patsy bursting into his room, super frantic, mm-hmm. rushing around his room, looking for John Bonet, and he admits that he never got up out of bed because he likes to avoid conflict. Some people have stated that he stayed in bed because he knew. He knew what happened to her? He knew what happened to her. Well, I mean, he was nine years old, so that's cool. I'm not, not, not saying that he couldn't have, but that's, that's a lot of pressure to put on a nine-year-old kid. Right. Okay, anyway. The 911 dispatcher that received the phone call from Patsy Ramsey later came forward and said that she believed she could hear multiple voices in the background of the conversation. Turns out that Patsy believed she had hung up the phone And now, since the world has gotten better with our technology, they were able to re-listen the phone call, slow it down, and determine that there is another voice in the call, which could have been Burke's. People believe he wasn't sleeping. The police eventually found a heavy-duty black flashlight in the Ramsey's home. No one in the family claimed to have any knowledge of this flashlight, where it came from, or who exactly it belonged to. Investigators have since said that this is definitely what could have been the heavy object that John Bonet was hit over the head with. It matches her injuries. Oh, okay. Interesting. I'm going to give you another really big element to this case. All right. 
There was a bowl of pineapple and milk sitting on the kitchen counter. This was John Bonet's favorite dessert. The fingerprints that were found on the bowl were that of Patsy and Burke. This bowl was from the night before, so when they got home from the Christmas party, right? Mm -hmm. There was also a glass of tea on the counter. When the autopsy was done on Jean Benet, it was discovered that she had pineapple in her body, very recently digested pineapple. So what's strange about that... Recently digested or not digested? Not digested. Not digested. I apologize. So So meaning before she died... She consumed pineapple very recently. Yes. Okay. Yes. Probably like right before. Yes. So like I just said, what's strange about that is remember how I told you that her parents claimed she fell asleep at the friend's Christmas party on the way home and they took her right to bed. Huh. So many questions here. So we're going to end right there. And that's going to be part one. Seriously. Yeah. I'm going to make you wait a whole week to hear part two. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna google this during, you can't google it i'm gonna google it, it gets, during the week it gets so much better i can't wait a whole week that's some crap listen i'm telling you right now that i can't wait an entire week to find out what happened to this case so i cannot deny or confirm whether or not i will google what happened well there's so much there's so much information this is a rabbit hole so i have oh, listened no. to probably <laughs> so many different podcasts that have done a John Benet Ramsey case and it doesn't matter how many times you hear the information it's different every single time because somebody else adds something new there's so much out there like honestly you could do a whole season on just John Benet Ramsey cases I wanted to cut to the chase right I wanted to tell you real quick what the case was give you the backstory draw us all in draw everybody in just exactly to just okay. to make you wait cool so next week you're going to be super excited because it's going to be conspiracy theories. I don't like conspiracy theories. <laughs> well, we seem to just, you know, really jump down that rabbit hole frequently together. Yeah. So okay. it'll be worth waiting for. Definitely don't Google it. I'm Googling it. <laughs> so I have to end this, of course, as always. Very rude. I'm upset <laughs> for our listeners. One week. It'll be worth That's it. a long time. Uh, we're going to end this with tea time, okay. as always. Yes. So... Are you ready for this week's tea time? Can't wait. <laughs> Using a wheelchair to escape a crime scene oh, isn't no. the best solution for criminals. However, a Texan duo thought it might be worth a try. Naomi Duchesne attempted a knife point robbery at a jewelry shop while her accomplice, Louis Castillo, waited outside with the getaway vehicle. A wheelchair. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Duchesne, who lived near the shop, (laughs) was tackled by a customer before she and her friend departed in what might have been the slowest escape in history. How sad. Can you imagine, though? They're just trying to get away from this robbery. Rolling on down. (laughs) Rolling. I mean, clearly not rolling. Not very quickly. Sad. When you... I don't Um, know why you would ever entertain the thought of a wheelchair being... A getaway vehicle? Maybe they were just like, you know what, if we put you in a wheelchair and we're casually walking down the street, nobody's going to think it was us. Yeah, nobody will suspect us at all. Wow. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, speaking of stupid jokes or stupid crimes, are you ready for my joke? Yes. Okay. So a man walked into his house and he casually mentioned to his wife that he had seen a kidnapping in the park. 
maybe this is <laughs> is this our couple too soon is this too soon <laughs> too <this>? soon <laughs> okay so he had seen a kidnapping in the park and the wife was frantic what did you do about it what do you mean and the husband said nothing i let him sleep oh my gosh <laughs> that took me a minute there but that was a good one <laughs> mm-hmm. too soon it's probably too soon in this case. that was a really good one i liked it a lot <laughs> well, good, i'm glad you did. <laughs> All right, everybody. So before we end this episode, we wanted to announce that our podcast, The Tea on Crime, has now joined Patreon. For those of you that aren't familiar with what that is, it's a monthly subscription page platform that will be ad-free with bonus episodes and that are exclusively only to our Patreon listeners. So go ahead and head on over to our page at patreon.com slash tea on crime to hear more tea being spilt. And then we're really excited to provide you guys with bonus content. And as always, we really appreciate your support. Yes. So stay tuned for part two next Sunday. I know everyone's super excited. I'm going to Google everything. I'm telling you right <laughs> Jessica will come back with a bunch of Googled answers and possibly theories of her own. I will be prepared. <laughs> That's it for today's episode. For all of our teaaholics that enjoyed our show today, please remember to go and rate the show on whatever platform you are listening to. Give us a follow on Facebook at Tea on Crime Podcast, Instagram at Tea on Crime Podcast, Twitter at Tea on Crime Pod, and TikTok at Tea on Crime Podcast. I'm your host, Britt. And I'm your co-host, Jessica. And we will be back next week to serve you more tea on all things true crime. Bye.